Anybody here love donuts? Can I, can I get a witness? Hashtag all day. So, um, yeah, I love donuts. And those of you who did not raise your hands are communists. In fact, after the service, we're going to have trained counselors in the back that will be equipped with uh, the U.S. Constitution, some guns, and a tray of Krispy Kreme donuts. These will be the necessary components of your therapy. So, yeah, I like donuts. In fact, I love donuts because I'm an American. And true story, yesterday morning, I'm driving from Greenville to Johnson City, and uh, so I'm going east on 11E, and I just passed Laughlin on the right, passing uh, Lowe's on the left, past McDonald's on the right. You know where I'm headed. And I approach this donut shop on the right, and it is almost like, no kidding, I didn't give the slightest thought to what I'm doing. And it's almost like autonomically, you know, sort of, that's the technical fancy word that you learned in perhaps biology or psychology for automatically, your body just does something, sort of involuntarily. I'm going forward, I'm in the left lane, going toward Johnson City, and suddenly my turn signal goes to the right, and I find myself in the right lane, and then, like a tractor beam, I'm going toward that, well, you know, donut shop. It was almost like I couldn't, like I didn't even think about it till after I had started hitting that and merging toward that, well, donut shop. True story. The devil must have been all up in my grill about donuts yesterday because I, I passed four donut shops on the way to Johnson City before I got to my destination. And yes, I counted them all. I know exactly where they are. In fact, the third one I came to on the left on Market Street in Johnson City, which is the you know, sort of temple of donut worship in the world, Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yes, we have some worshipers out there. Uh, in fact, tech nerds, there's an app uh, available to tell you if the hot and now, the hot donuts now is available in Johnson City as we speak. Now, it was almost like I could not control myself. I thought about it after I passed, you know, the, the Dunkin' Donuts here, the Dunkin' Donuts in uh, Jonesboro, and the Krispy Kreme in, on the left in Johnson City. After that Krispy Kreme passing by, when I, you know, sort of merged that way and decided no, I, I, I mercifully got away with no donuts and, and got to my destination uh, with my sort of integrity intact. But, but it was almost like I realized after I passed the third one, I, I almost couldn't control myself. I mean, that's a little silly to say. But my body started doing what my brain suggested before I even thought about it, like consciously. It was almost involuntary. Not being able to control yourself when it comes to donuts is not a good thing, but it's a relatively small thing. And it's something you can overcome by, you know, making sure you don't eat two or three plus a day. <clears throat> But what about, what about when the automatic response is your words just come out? What if sort of without consciously thinking about it, the, the problem is your words are just coming out and you, 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 your brain's not in charge of what's going on. Oh, it's in charge of what's going on, but you're not conscious of it. It's just happening. That can be very problematic. 
That can be the foot and mouth disease that, that in some measure we have all experienced some here and there in our lives. Some of us, can I get a witness, more than others. I was diagnosed with the foot and mouth disease formally, like officially, in uh, about third grade, fourth grade uh, in elementary school when uh, the principal diagnosed me with it three times in the span of about a year in that same year. I got in trouble for uh, being gifted at uh, making my classmates cry. This is true. This is true. Three different times. Uh, A friend of mine, his name was uh, Sergio. Sergio and I were good friends, played all the time on the playground in the same classes together. I knew where he lived. He knew where I lived. We rode bikes a little bit together. I said something to him. I didn't even know what it meant because I heard somebody else say it, but as soon as I said it, he knew what it meant. And it totally hurt his feelings. And surprise, surprise, Sergio and I weren't friends after that. Nada, my next-door neighbor, same kind of thing. I said something to her, and looking back, I realized words were just coming out. (laughs) My words were just coming out. No big surprise she didn't want to be my friend after that. There was actually another example that same year. There was sort of this bully on the playground who kind of ruled the roost, and I was sick of him because he was a jerk. So I figured I'd verbally assault him. That's, that's the tool I had. I mean, he was a big dude. I mean, seriously, he was a big dude. But I had this in my words. So I figured, you got, you're going to... I verbally assaulted him. And he actually literally chased me around the playground for about five minutes. Um, escaped unscathed and lived to tell about it because... <laughs> Sidelight, true story. I gave him my granola bar from lunch the rest of the year for a uh, sort of peace offering. (laughs) Truth of the matter is, I'm willing to tell you those three examples because it was 35 years ago. Not a big deal, right? Like kids do things that are dumb, right? Those are just the ones I'm willing to tell you about. And all of us know what that's like saying things, machine-gunning others with our words, sort of verbally assaulting people, sort of verbally kind of just vomiting from our own stuff on the inside. That's a problem. That's a real problem. This isn't just, I veer to the right because I see donuts. This is, what I say hurts people. That's just irresponsible. And that's not godly. That's about, that's about me. It's about me building up my own kingdom. This is what happens. This is what happens when words run amok. James 3 is a great passage for this. It kind of helps set the stage for us a little bit about uh, what this uh, looks like. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but we're going to put it on screen for you. James 3, verses 5 and 8 says this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Doesn't take much. The whole forest is soon on fire. Verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It's almost like it's got a mind of its own. It's almost like it's just involuntary response. Like it's just coming out. When you have little control over your tongue 
when your words just sort of shoot out like a geyser of emotion, you are bound to hurt somebody. You are bound to hurt somebody. And when you get enough of that in the body of Christ, it can be like a cancer. It can be like a cancer. And it's a cancer that can keep the connectedness that we have in Jesus from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish through us. And now we're preaching. Because our words hold such power. They matter so much that if you get enough people, and I've been as guilty of this as anybody. Believe me, giftedness with words has a dark side, people. You get enough people who use their words, it becomes a cancer. Use their words for self instead of others, for me instead of the glory of God, for my little personal self-salvation project and kingdom instead of God's kingdom. You get enough people within the body who do that. It's a cancer that will keep our connectedness from achieving what God wants to achieve through it. That's a problem. Friends, our words matter. Our words carry great weight. It's estimated the average person talks about a fifth of their lifetime. A fifth of their waking hours. Some of us, it's a fourth or maybe a third of our waking hours. The average person speaks enough words in one day to fill a 50-page book. In one year, 132 200-page books. Our speech is an important part of our life. It can be used either to build down or to tear up, to, to destroy or to construct. So they hold great weight and great power. And God has called us, Paul's going to remind us here in Ephesians 4, God has called us to use our words for the sake of the other, for the sake of someone else, for the sake of building up a brother or sister, or for communicating the gospel. That's, that's words that have power to do the, the thing that God gave them for. Words are just, like anything else, resources to be stewarded, to be taken care of. And, and the issue is, are they going to be for God's kingdom or are they going to be for my kingdom? That's, that's the issue. To build down or to tear up. So let's jump in at Ephesians 4, where Paul reminds us about how much our words matter. We're going to read Ephesians 4, 25 to 9, and then we're going to jump back in at 25. So follow along on screen or in your own Bibles there, Ephesians 4, 25 through 9. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He sort of sets forth the principle there. He'll also restate it in 29. That's why we've started there and stopped there. It's the same kind of idea. Then he says this in the middle, 26 through 8. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is a great verse. We should all go home and memorize this if you don't know it. 429. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And then two things, two filters for us, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those here. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Jump back in at verse 25 there. He starts out by saying, Therefore, having put away 
falsehood. In other words, because you're a new creation, you've done away with lying and falsehood and deceit. Paul is sort of picking up here on some things that he's been teaching the Ephesians up to this point. And we're going to jump back to 4, uh, 4.17-24 real quick and sort of read that immediately preceding context to help us understand our passage better. Look at verses 17-24 to 24 there. It helps set the stage for this therefore in 25. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. In other words, don't miss this. This is tested and legit. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk is a New Testament, especially a Paul word. It's a New Testament word for life. It's the way you live your life, your walk. He's saying that if you are, quote, in Christ, which is a phrase we talked about a few weeks ago, read chapter 1 of Ephesians especially for what that in Christ means. Actually, 1 through 3, but especially chapter 1. It uses that power-packed word in Christ and talks about what we have in Christ. We have riches and blessing and spiritual, eternal riches in ways that we could never earn for ourselves, he says in Ephesians 2. It's grace. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast, so that God gets the glory. So he's saying here, if you are in Christ, you must live like you are this new creature, this new creation. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 15 and 16, he calls us a new humanity. He, he, there's a parallel with a new humanity in the body there in 15 and 16, if you look that up for this in Christ idea. Another, another thing about this new creation would be 2 Corinthians 5, 17, classic passage that says we are a new creature. So he's saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Keep going there, verse 14, uh, 17 and following. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't, they don't get it. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They can't hear from God because they've hardened their heart. Verse 19, they become callous and have given themselves up to, to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, they cannot control themselves to do the good works that God's called them to do. Good works are good because God makes them good through the Spirit's work in us, not because we are good. <laughs> so the Gentiles cannot control themselves to do the good works God's called them to do because God's not in them. They've hardened their hearts to hearing from Him. But, but, verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. He's setting up the stage to say, your words can be old self or new self. Your words can be about, about what used to drive and motivate you or what motivates and drives you now because you understand grace. So that's what he's setting up the stage for here. He says, this is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now here's this old and new self thing. To put off your old self, to leave it behind, to cast it aside, to throw it away. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, that would have been the motivation for one's words. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So that old, corrupt, deceitful desire is what motivated our words pre-Christ, our, our sort of, you know, B.C. <clears throat> and the new self which is a way of talking about having put on Christ. We talk about baptism being the time when you die to self, raised to new life, and it's like you put on Jesus then as your righteousness. So Paul is contrasting the old and new self here, and he's saying the new self speaks, talks, uses, stewards these, these powerful words for the sake of something greater 
than what it used to be. So he's setting up this old and new self thing. Your words in the old days, motivated by your deceitful desires and self. Get, get, get. Get, get, get. Get, get, get. Your words with the new self are motivated by the righteousness and the holiness that we have put on in Christ. Give, give, give. Huge difference. Huge difference. And when we have people within the body who are still using their words for get, 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 it limits us. It makes us sick and unhealthy. That's, that's people who are trying to twist this to be about self. He's saying with a new self, because you understand the gift of God's grace given to us in Jesus, His righteousness, His purity, His holiness, eternal inheritance and riches and blessings given to us, because we understand that gift, we use our words to give, to build up, to help. Those are the options. Hurt, help. Get, give. Notice, notice when it talks about the, the righteousness in Christ. It's, it's like talking, living, walking out of this place that understands what Christ did. <laughs> Christ didn't come to get. Christ came to give. Christ didn't come to tear down because, let's, let's get frank about this, every single human being on the planet who has ever lived deserved to be torn down once and for all. But He gave us His riches. That's what grace is. And so our words are to reflect that goodness of giving like Christ gave on the cross. So that's what He's setting up here when He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood. It's like you were walking along in life and you became a Christian. You, you just sort of took off falsehood, deceit, lying. You just took it off, threw it down on the side of the road and just kept walking. I mean, it's, it's back there somewhere, but you're not wearing it. It's just, it's gone. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Now, this is a little curious here for a second, just Listen to this question for a second here. He just said something about putting away falsehood. Why does he tell us to speak the truth? Isn't putting away falsehood the same as speaking the truth? Well, not exactly. They're two sides of the same coin. Like it'd be one thing, a helpful thing, a good thing, (laughs) to consider one's words at least by shutting up when you shouldn't talk. That's a good first step. Not speaking when falsehood, self, your kingdom is the goal for your words. I mean, that's a good first step, absolutely. But what Paul's calling us to here is something that is mind-bogglingly awesome. Your words, by speaking truth, can build up another person. That's, that's a different ballgame of ministry. That's when you begin to see this, this body here is not about you. You having Christ in you is not about you. Enjoy, enjoy it by being a kingdom builder. We'll get there in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. It says, let each one of you speak the truth. Which is to say, you can tweet this. You don't become honest by merely not lying. <laughs> you become honest by telling the truth. Another way to say that is you you don't become a kingdom builder 
by merely not lying. You become a kingdom builder by telling the truth so that someone else can become who God made them to be. Keep reading. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. In other words, because we're connected with his neighbor, because we're connected, for we are members one of another. Now, obviously, all falsehood, all deceit, all lying is an offense against God. But Paul is emphasizing here this body thing because there is something particularly disturbing about falsehood and deceit in the body because it's not just against another person. It is that, but it's not just against another person. When it's falsehood within the body, it's falsehood directed at harming the connectedness that exists in Christ. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying when you, when you let lying, deceit, selfishness to be the motivation for one's words in the body, that's what the cancer is like. It keeps us from becoming who God made us to be. It keeps us from being the healthy body that sees past self to the, to the countless numbers of lost people in the world. Falsehood within the body is actually directed. You may not even be aware of it, but Paul's saying it's directed at harming the connectedness that God has established in Christ. It's like saying to lie, to gossip, to let deceit be how we operate with our words in the body is an offense against the cross of Christ, Paul is saying. That's how strong he wants to say this. Let's put this on the screen for you here. This is a good way to sort of say all this together. You may want to write this down. We'll leave it up here for a sec. The members of the body, members of the body cannot cooperate in harmony for the good of the whole, which is to say, not just the good of those who are seated here, the good of those who know Jesus, but also those who do not, the good of the whole, the members of the body cannot cooperate in harmony for the good of the whole if their dealings with one another are not marked by open-hearted sincerity and confidence. This doesn't work. (laughs) This body thing doesn't work if truth is not the heart. If, if the motivation of the kingdom is not the heart of our words. Which is hard because that means some hard conversations might need to be had. Some, some confession may need to be made to another. But that's a good and right thing because if we don't maintain truth-telling as the way that we operate, we will manipulate one another for our own purposes. We'll turn this here into a way to build up my kingdom. We can, we can try to turn our relationships with others into a self-salvation project instead of building up for the greater cause of the body and for those who don't know Jesus. So he goes on here in the middle to give us a few verses of sort of application for what it looks like. Pick it up at verse 26 there. He says, Be angry and do not sin. And he gives us two sort of filters for that. Be angry and do not sin, which is to say it's possible to be righteously angry. Jesus was in the temple when he overturned the tables of the money changers. Awesome story if you don't know it. Google it, find it. So you can be righteously angry if it's motivated by jealousy for God's glory, but make sure of two things. Keep reading. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If you're going to be righteously angry, don't let it last and don't let it mess up your heart. Don't let it last and don't let it mess up your heart. 
Righteous anger is short-term in a sense. I mean, listen, God got this. We don't need everybody to walk around being self-righteous judge, jury, and jailer all day long, okay? Speaking truth to another for the sake of another will often preclude your need to be righteous, often self-righteous judge, jury, and jailer all the time. Guilty is charged, believe me. So keep reading verse 28. Another way he says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Instead of taking the kingdom for self, instead of taking the resources God's given you as, like, like a thief, that's what I think he's saying here, do something productive so that you may have something to share with someone in need. We are thieves when we use our resources for self instead of the kingdom. We are thieves when we use our resources for self instead of the kingdom. Are you saying I shouldn't like have bread on the table? Relax, no, weirdo. You have to live to do productive work for the kingdom. And God gave you that for those things. But listen, listen. You're going to have all that. God says he'll take care of it. We are thieves when we use our resources for self to steal from God. And this includes the resource of our words. So be productive for the kingdom of God instead of stealing from it by using your words for yourself. Now, verse 29. Awesome verse. Main, main verse in this whole passage here. This is where we get this principle of sort of truth-telling for the kingdom purposes. We saw some hints of that in 29. I'm sorry, 25, but it said super well here. It said perfectly. Um, the ESV says it well. It says, Let no corrupting talk, damaging words of any sort, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. The original text for that phrase for building up, such as is good for building up, is like saying, only that which is for building. Only words that are for building. Sort of saying it verbally, like your words are building blocks. Your words are like, Actual building blocks. And the crazy thing is that when the old self is gone and the new self is one's way of, of living and thinking and, and your heart is in sync with God's heart, your words become actual building blocks for people. That's, I mean, listen, think about this. Your words can be used of God to help make people more like Him. That's a high calling. That's an awesome responsibility. And when you take on the new self, when you know what grace is like and you love Jesus for it, you, you, you like to use your words to build up people. And you despair of those times when you have used your words to damage them. And if you know grace, if you know the righteousness of Christ for you, if you love that and have gratitude for it, you will grieve at how you've been a cancer that kept the connectedness from becoming a place of healing. 
if we are a healthy church, if we are a healthy church, it's because our words build up people. Now, keep reading there. This is super great. This is so cool. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So it, the words are about building up. That's sort of the, the, the meta-narrative. That's the main principle. Words are for building up. But there are two filters that are helpful, instructive to us, Paul says, to think about how we use those words to build up. Do I know if they're building up or not? How do I know? Two things. Number one, as fits the occasion. Number two, that it gives grace. First, it says that our talk should fit the occasion that it should be about the needs of the moment. Friends, the opposite of verbally assaulting others, and believe me, I know what that's like. I have been gifted at it. The opposite of verbally assaulting others isn't constant truth-telling regardless of the situation. I think many Christians sort of walk around the world thinking that just spewing forth truth as if that's what the world needs all the time, a constant flow of all truth that I know at all is what people need. Well, yes and no. Truth may be truth no matter what. And this is going to sound a little bit simplistic, but I think it's true. And listen carefully here. Truth is only heard when it's heard. I didn't say truth is only truth when it's heard. Truth is only heard (laughs) when it's heard. It's always truth. But it's not always helpful to just go around spewing truth when somebody doesn't need or can't hear that kind of truth that maybe you do. I'm not saying don't cast the seed of the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. Truth, truth is most truthful when it speaks to the need of the moment. Now, let me tell you what I mean. This may sound a little relativistic to you, but that's okay. We can talk postmodern later. Imagine that there's this huge pool of truth that God has. And it represents this right here. It's a pool of all truth that God has. If God were to take all of that truth and just dump it on us at one time, not a one of us could handle it. All of His goodness, all of His glory, all of the truth of who God is cannot be just dumped out on people who cannot reckon with perfection unless He does something about it. Which is to say, He takes the truth that we need and gives it to us and applies it to us as fits our needs. That's why we have the Bible. And we have Jesus. Jesus embodies the fullness of His truth. No question. The Bible embodies Jesus as the Word given to us on the page. No question. But all of the truth of who God is is not contained in this book. There is truth that's going to continue for all of eternity about who God is that we will continue to learn for the rest of eternity and we'll never get to the bottom of Him. It even says in the last verses of Scripture, 
if everything were written, the books couldn't contain it. When we take truth that fits the occasion, that fits the need, that speaks to the person, that is when we become builders. That's when we become builders. When the needs of the other person direct my words, when, when, when my words are humbled to the needs of the other person, that's when you become a kingdom builder. That's why, friends, incidentally, being in the Word, being in the Word daily is so crucial, so crucial to knowing the truth that fits the need of the occasion or the person. Well, why must it fit the occasion? Keep reading. Second thing here. Into verse 29. First thing is that it has to fit the occasion. Second thing, this is huge. This is the motivation for truth-telling. That it may give grace to those who hear. We are called to give grace to those who hear us talk. What a, what a radical conception for the motivation of our words and our speech. Think of what a radical concept, a, a high calling that is. You were given words to build up another human being, which is an awesome responsibility. It's a high calling. But if we love grace, we know what we have in Jesus. If we are grateful to, to what Christ for what Christ has done for us, then we will want to speak in a way that, that fits with the manner in which He came, the grace that He gave. Our words can actually be vehicles for extending God's grace to people. That is super cool. So we have two, two questions. Two questions that are filters for our words. Number one, does it fit the need? Number two, does it, extend, does it extend God's grace? Does it fit the need? Does it extend God's grace? We don't need seven, eight, nine, ten questions. Just two will do. <laughs> Are my words fitting the need of the occasion, of the moment, for the person? And does it extend grace? Does it become a vehicle to communicate the truth of the gospel to others. Let's pray.